for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. And our theme this week is uh, we, we're kind of breaking in the series is we're going to talk about God's not done as a theme. God really placed this in my heart. And, um, you know, uh, how many of you have ever um, cooked something and wasn't done? You know, you made that chicken and, uh, you, okay, you made that chicken and you, you went to get into it and it was rubbery. <laughs> I mean, no, that's nasty. Anything not done is nasty. And then it can create some frustration if it's not finished, right? The only thing that's good that's not, that's anything that's good, the only thing that's good not done is cookies. Sup? You know we're fasting today, everybody. You know what I'm saying? I may talk about food the whole time just because we fast. But that gooey middle, that's the only thing that's good that's not done. Well, God has, God has some things I think sometimes in our life. You know, the church has really been orchestrated uh, in America to become a consumer kind of thing. A ch- the church has been more of a consumer-driven thing than it has a distributor kind of mentality. And, and consumers are, um, uh, we live in a country of consumerism where we want consumption. And a lot of times our church view of church is a consumer mentality. It is a customer, it is a consumer mentality. And consumers, there's some characteristics about consumers. Consumers are, uh, they would rather complain than encourage. Come on, you gonna talk to me today, agent? Come on now, come on, you gonna talk to me today? Uh, Consumers criticize rather than empower. Consumers hoard rather than sacrifice. Consumers hate rather than forgive. Consumers compete rather than work together. Consumers take, uh, take rather than volunteer. Consumers buy rather than give. And consumers obtain rather than serve. Like consumers is about self. And this view has hit the American church. And I believe I know why the view has hit the church is because we have become the point. See, because your point, your focal point will determine the direction of your life. Whatever you focus on will determine the direction of your life. In other words, uh, what you make the point of your life will determine your destination. And I'm here to tell you today, and I'm going to ring this from the housetop, that Jesus is the point of the church. Not us, not the consumer, not us just getting our needs met, not just us getting our desires met, not just us getting our physical needs met. Yeah, that's all great. That's a benefactor of Jesus being number one. And if we can learn to keep Jesus number one, God will bless. God will do the things that he said he would do. Jesus is the point of the church. And though the backdrop of America and the world may look bleak and black right now, listen to me today. God is going to raise up a church that Jesus is the point, where the light of the world will begin to shine again, and it's called the church of Jesus Christ. When Jesus becomes the point of your life, light is automatic. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read this passage. He says this. He says, so now, you are, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. That's us. We're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family, the church. Then he says, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone. And you build a house, you build a building, you start with the cornerstone. Back in uh, old times, back in the day, they would start with a, a large cornerstone and everything would be aligned off that cornerstone. If the cornerstone was out of whack or crooked, the entire facility or the things which they were trying to build would be out of whack. And Jesus says this, he says, when your relationship with me is out of whack, when the things in your life seem like they're not in alignment, it's because Jesus is not the point. It's because the foundation of your life, the chief cornerstone, is crooked. The relationship with God is crooked. That's why things seem to be not built correctly. He tells us this, that in um, 1 Peter 2.6, he says, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. In other words, he's talking about Jesus being the rock, being the cornerstone. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 says this, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You remember this story when he's talking to the disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And they're like, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're a prophet, say you're some just some other guy. And well, and then Jesus all of a sudden looks at these cats and says, who do you say that I am? He makes it personal. How many know Jesus is gonna be the point? It's gotta get personal. So he tells him, he says, listen, what's the point? So who, who do you say that I am? And Simon pipes up and he says, hey, you're Jesus. You're the son of the living God. And God looks at him and Jesus himself says, listen, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father which is in heaven. And upon this rock, upon what rock? Rock of Jesus being the point, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Jesus becomes the point of a church, when Jesus becomes the, the point of a family, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church where Jesus is the point. Come on, somebody. You with me today? Jesus is the point. When we started Real Life Church, we began, and we wanted a place, and we prayed this way. We prayed that RLC would look like Jesus. Not a personality, not just a group of people, not just creative ideas, not just excellence, but that it would look like Jesus. So when people come through the doors, they would experience love, they would experience hope, they would experience encouragement, they would experience the, the plan of God, the destiny of God, the power of God, the worship of God, the relevance of God. When we begin to pray during those seven months, that's what we begin to ask God for, is that Jesus would be the point. We would align everything we do off of Jesus being the point. We would align everything of his plan and his purpose. Listen, folks, I'm not smart enough to pull this thing off. We need the power and presence of God to reach more people. It's going to take the presence of God and people that are aligned to Jesus to do what God has asked us to do. We want to align ourselves, our behaviors, to look like him because he's the point of the church. And when he becomes the point of the church, the church thrives, the church grows, people are helped, and people are transformed. When I look at all those pictures out there, over eight years, one thing I can tell you, I know when I'm on a diet. I can tell you what year. I go out there and look at them pictures, I'm like, yep, that was 2014, praise God, 2017, that didn't work, it wasn't working that year, it wasn't working that year. But when I get out there and I see those pictures, those are stories. Your face may be on one of those pictures out there. 
Those are stories of people's lives that have been changed and wrecked by God, and God has transformed them, and God has done amazing things in their life. Why? Because when Jesus is the point, the church thrives. It grows. People are helped and transformed. And when Jesus is the point of the church, hear me now, people are rescued. Say rescued. I was sitting in the drop-off line with Braxton to take him to school, and um, boy, that's a fun place to be. So I was sitting in the drop-off line, and I'm, I'm not, I mean, we're fasting, but I'm not like, I'm like, I'm like in the drop-off line, so I'm not like, I'm making sure I don't run over children. And so I'm in the drop-off line, and all of a sudden, out of my heart, I'm just sitting there, out of my heart, and he said, Jason, here's what he said. He said, everybody's been asking for a word for the year, and here's the word for your church this year, for the church, real-life church this year. He says, this is the year of rescue, I mean, I immediately had to about pull over, you know, to get out of the line so I could shed a couple tears. He says it's the year of rescue. When, when the, Jesus is the point, people are rescued. To be rescued is to be free from confinement. I am free from confinement. I've been rescued by the blood of the lamb, and I've been rescued by the cross of Jesus. I've been rescued by a God that's not in the tomb anymore, and I don't have confinements on me. I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not an alcoholic. I got a purpose. God has delivered me, and he set me free. Why? Because he rescued me. Confinement. It means to take Someone such as a prisoner forcibly from custody. In other words, what Jesus did on the cross to rescue you wasn't some pity, potty, tiptoe to the tulips kind of thing. It was forcible. He said, I'll be willing and I'll come and I'll die on that cross for them and I'll be buried for them and I'll raise from the dead for them and I'll go down to hell for them and I'll take the keys back from death, hell, and the grave so they can be rescued. It was forcible. It wasn't like, I'm Jesus. No, he was turning tables over. He was knocking demons out. He was busting the devil in the teeth and taking the keys back so we could be free. It means to recover something by force. Rescue. It's the year of rescue for our church. And so these words, as I started to think about it, he said, Jason, this year and the years to come, your church is on a search and rescue mission. (laughs) And I said to myself, what does that, what's that look like? So I went to the natural and I started to look at the search and rescue idea. It's an intensive, it's an ex- extensive, intensive emergency service that is performed by people to rescue others. It's the goal. The goal of the search is, and a rescue mission is to, lo- to locate, to stabilize, and extract individuals in distress. Our church is on a search and rescue mission, folks. There are people that are in distress, that are addicted to alcohol, that are addicted to drugs. Their marriages are messed up. Their kids are wafered. They're wafered, wayward. And and God is calling us as a church that the search and rescue mission is on, that we would extract people from the distress and the culture of this world, that God would come in and he would begin to free people from confinement and break off the chains so they could live in true freedom. RLC, we are on a search and rescue mission. I said, God, show me what's this look like. So there's a story in your Bible in 1 Samuel 18 about a guy by the name of David, and he had a buddy named Jonathan. 
And it says this, it says in verse 1 through 4, it says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So they became, they became a tight knit in the soul. Then it says in verse 3, it says, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. So covenant was cut by blood. So what they would do is they would cut their wrists, merge the blood, mix it together. And basically it was not just between David and Jonathan. It was between David's household and Jonathan's household. There was this, there was this covenant that was cut. And it says, and, and Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor even to his sword and his bow and his belt. The robe here represents possessions. The weapons represent provision and protection. The covenant was cut. And so everything David had would become Jonathan to have access to it. That when David left, and same with Jonathan to David, there was a covenant. Now David fled from Saul during this time, and this was his last words to his friend Jonathan. How many know that's probably the most important thing you're probably going to say right before you take off? And he says this to him. He says, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he he points something out here. He says, because we cut covenant, it's between our descendants on your side and my descendants on my side. So Jonathan and David were not just in covenant with each other, but their entire family and that which was to come. See, because covenant affects generations. Jesus is the covenant head of the church. He's the one that came, bled, died. He cut covenant with the Father God, and because of that covenant, we have access to have a relationship with our Father. He became that covenant. He became that thing that needed to be cut, and that was Jesus. So here it is. Saul, so he was buried. Jesus was buried. His death, burial, and resurrection happened. And when we believe by faith, all of a sudden now we have access to a relationship with God. I'm going somewhere, I promise. Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle years later after this had happened between uh, David and Jonathan. They were killed in battle and had passed on. And Saul, Saul and Jonathan were killed. And David ascended to become king of Israel. And the first thing that David did when he became king was he secured their borders. And this is the second thing he did. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 1. It says, now, David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So here he is. Jonathan's passed away. He dies. David says, is there anyone in Jonathan's family that I can show kindness to? Now, what you have to understand was David, he was a man of great power. He was a man of great authority. He was a man of honor. And, and David had rose to this place of kingship. And he says, is there anybody in the house of Jonathan that I can show favor to? And the Bible declares there's a, there's a guy, and it says this, in verse number three of that same passage in 2 Samuel 9, it says, then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, who is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amir in Lodabar. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth 
was a guy that was Jonathan's son, and David wanted to show kindness to him. Mephibosheth was lame. Mephibosheth today, as we describe him, represents people who are in a place that need to be rescued. Mephibosheth represents a people who have no idea that there was a covenant cut for them 2,000 years ago by the Son of God, that 2,000 years ago Jesus died on a cross, he shed his blood, that people could be free today in 2020. There are people that have no idea that this has gone on. Mephibosheth in your Bible is this exact guy. He had no idea that there was a covenant cut between his father Jonathan and David. See, he would go and he lived in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar was a place that means shameful. He moved into a place of shame. He was poor. He was destitute. He was helpless. He was living in the region and the house of mature. The word mature means settled. So, so Mephibosheth was living in Lodabar, a place that was shameful and settled. That's where Mephibosheth lived. He went to this place called Lodabar. There, there were people. There were people there. Mephibosheth looked like, he did not look like much. He, he had rags and he lived off the crumbs of the table and he lived in Lodabar. And Lodabar means this. Nobody goes to Lodabar on purpose, first off. And Lodabar means this. L means lethargy. It's a place of lethargic living. Uh, o is obscurity. He was out of the picture. D is, it's a place of disappointment. E, it's a place of emptiness. B, it's a place of barrenness. A, it's a place of apathy. And R, it's a place of rejection. This is who we're dealing with. We are dealing with people that are like Mephibosheth, that have been, that are dealing with lethargic situations, obscurity, and disappointment, and emptiness, and barrenness, and rejection. Listen, Lodabar is a great place to hide from disappointment. There's no battle, there's no victories in Lodabar. It's filled with despair. It's filled with disappointment. There are no battles there. He was chained to what other people had said. You will never get out of Lodabar. I wonder how many people surrounding us at our workplaces, surrounding us in our families, surrounding us in our jobs, surrounding us in our schools are in Lodabar today that have no idea that there was a covenant cut 2,000 years ago between the Son of God and his Father, that he would come and give his life. I wonder how many people know about this covenant that was cut. Listen to me today. How are they ever going to find out if the church that Jesus bled for doesn't open its mouth and begin to rescue those that need to be rescued? See, Mephibosheth was a guy that lived in Lodabar, but he had no idea that royalty was on the way. David was on a search and rescue mission for this guy named Mephibosheth. The king was planning with his court a rescue mission to pick up the lame, to pick up the disappointed, to pick up the broken, to pick up the used, to pick up the one that said he would never come out of the place of settled shame. David, the royalty, the royalty army was preparing a search and rescue mission for Samuel 9, 5. It says, and then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekur, out from Lodabar, miles away, this king named David. Miles from Lodabar, this king was preparing a plan 
to reach the son of David named Mephibosheth. I'm sure it was terrifying for Mephibosheth when he was sitting at the table waiting for crumbs to fall off the table because he couldn't walk, waiting for crumbs to fall off the table, and all of a sudden he hears the horses of the king. Can you imagine the fear and the, and, the, and the anguish that took place when he hears the chariots of David rolling into Lodabar because nobody came to Lodabar. A king would never go to Lodabar. A king would never go to the place of shame. No, not in this day, but for some reason, because a covenant was cut, David orchestrated a search and rescue mission for this young man named Mephibosheth. He had no idea. Mephibosheth, he had no idea that this covenant had been between his father and King David. 1 Samuel chapter 9 says this in verse 7. So now, verse 6, now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated before him. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. Can you imagine the words of going from shame Settled, broken, fearful, living to hearing the king of the day say, do not fear. Here's what he says. He says, do not fear. And he says, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table. Can you imagine Mephibosheth in the moment? He's like, this has got to be a trick. I've been in Lodabar. I've been in disappointment, and all of a sudden there's good news that says, I'm going to be sitting at another table. He'd been sitting at the table of these crumbs of people of the community and God, and all of a sudden David says, you'll be sitting at the king's table before long. Not unbeknownst to himself what was going to take place. I wonder in that moment when King David was there, if he saw the scars of the covenant. I wonder if he saw the scars of David of when he cut the covenant with Jonathan. I wonder, I wonder in that moment what he thought of those scars of David. David came and took him out of shame and being settled. David sought out Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth did not seek out David. Listen to me this morning. There is a group of people that need to be rescued, that need to understand that God has bled and died for them. There is a God that came and loves them. He's not here to judge them. He wants to get into their Lodabar. He wants to get into their mess. He wants to get into their problems. He wants to become the solution. And what we have to understand, church, is the only way People hear that God wants to rescue them. It's through people that have been rescued, that have been brought out of Lodabar themselves, that have been brought out of shame themselves, that have been brought out of pain themselves, that all of a sudden, when we realize how rescued we've really been, that all of a sudden now, it's not about us anymore, that now we signed up where Jesus is the point, and so I'm rescued, so I'm about to go rescue some people that are in Lodabar. It's the year of rescue. David sought Mephibosheth. The Bible says, while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. The Bible says that Jesus made it plain. I came to seek and save 
that which is lost. There's nothing you can do. He came looking for you in your mess. He came looking for you when you were at your lowest point. It's about him coming to find you. It's not about your man-made initiative. It's not about your man-made ideas. It's not about your man-ways to get to God. No, you can't get to God through your man-made issues. You can only get to God through the blood of Jesus. You can only get to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Samuel 9 the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, said to him, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work for the land. Verse 9 says, but Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. He says, you're sitting at the king's table and you are going to eat bread all the time at the king's table. And I don't know about you, but that's not crumbs. That's sourdough with extra butter. Come on, baby, at the king's table. Garlic bread, whatever kind of bread they served. It wasn't crumbs off the table, it was the whole loaf. And he got to experience that the rest of his life. And it says, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Wow, wow, he became a king's son because of a covenant made. He went from Lodabar to being a king's son. He got to experience all that the king had had for him. It says, for in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. He no longer ate at the table of shame and disappointment and brokenness. He began to eat at the, the table of the king. He was no longer a stranger in a refuge. He was a part of the royal family. He still had crippled feet. Listen to me. He still had crippled feet. But when you're at the king's table, your weakness and your deformities, your broken is hidden because of the king's table. I want to show you a video. I want to show you a video of people right here within our church that God has rescued. That, that God has rescued. And I want you to hear their story. And I, I want you to believe that, 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 that God is putting our church on a search and rescue mission. I want you to hear the lives of a few families that have been changed right here over these last eight years at Real Life Church. Go ahead and watch this video. All right, guys, so Real Life Church uh, turning eight years old this weekend is a really special time. And kind of what I want to talk about is just how has Real Life Church impacted you personally on a spiritual level and with your family? So let's just kind of start off and talk about, you know, what drew you to Real Life Church? I would say for our family, um, what drew us initially was um, our teenage kids um, really wanted to come and, and, and sit under Pastor Jason's word. So. Um, with teenagers, you know, the challenging of reaching that generation, um, the fact that they wanted to, to come and sit under his um, leadership helped us make a decision. Um, honestly, what brought us was um, we knew a few other couples that came, and since we'd been married, we never felt like we had a home church. Mike is actually the person that brought me to real life, and um, whenever I walked through the doors, the first person that I saw was Sonia, and we just had like an instant friendship. I really just felt connected just from the get-go, and then as soon as we took the kids back to the back, I loved it. I loved the fact that the kids were welcomed back there. Um, they were just always happy whenever we picked them up. There we were searching, and basically what we were both looking for, I think, was the love when you walk in the door. And when I walked through the door, 
first time of uh, Thrill Life Church. Uh, I mean, I was overwhelmed with love. And I want to put that love, I want to be at the front door greeting people. I, I want people to see a smile. I want to see people to see love when they come in there. And I'll tell you truthfully, anybody that's looking for a church, I honest to God think that this is the best church that I've ever been to in my life. Uh, so let's say that we've got you know people that are just attending the church and they've been attending you know maybe for a few months and uh, they haven't really had a strong you know history with attending church. You know, what would you say to those people to encourage them uh, you know as they start to attend real life church? Honestly, I think the biggest thing is get involved. That was something that I noticed. You know, I have a lot of really good relationships and friendships with people now, but I also made the choice to get involved, to get into small groups, and I made some really good friendships that way, and even working in the back with kids. I've got a lot out of serving with, with the kids' church, um, and just getting to know that next generation and sowing into them. Um, and, and the nice thing is you, know, you come as you are. You're greeted with open arms regardless of who you are, where you've come from, your experiences. We love, I mean, we've helped with youth group and with children's church and just, it makes those connections. Even if you're not connecting with the kids, like you said, you're connect those parents that you're seeing week after week. So looking back on your time at Real Life Church, how has this church changed your life or the life of your family? My life has changed. My wife's life has changed. I have never loved my wife as much as I love her now in the last year and a half that we've been coming to the church. Spiritually, we've both grown. My kids have grown. I think with our family also, we've, we've just come closer. Um, our kids look forward to going to church. Um, I don't know, just encouraging as parents to hear your kids sit under the Word and, and kind of building their own relationship with God. So it's really been great for our family. My life changing, I just feel like every step of my journey has been a pretty big step. Um, whenever I first got to real life, I don't feel like I was this close to God, so I definitely got saved again. Um, then I got pregnant with my daughter, Lenora, and that was a miracle that I even was able to give birth to her, and she was um, healthy, and she's still healthy as all get out. Um, and with that birth, I actually had my water baptism, so I got water baptized in real life. Um, and then after that, um, a year later, I put alcohol down and I am actually nine months sober tomorrow. So it's, it's been a great journey. One of the biggest changes in our family has been tithe. And when we first started coming to real life, I was tithing because I'm like, I always felt that I needed to, but it was the first church that I wanted to tithe to. And um, then we started tithing as a family and um, <laughs> Chase on Sunday. He just had his birthday his after Christmas and he went into his bedroom and I said, oh, hey, I need to give you money for offering. And he goes, no, mom, I'll get my money. And he came out and he had a $5 bill. And I said, buddy, I said, you can, you can keep your $5 bill. I said, you have a bunch of $1 bills. And he said, no, mom, I want to give it because I want more people to come to church and to love Jesus. And I, um, that was huge for, for me. You know, Ted was outside, I was like, do you know what Chase said? Because we have talked to him so much about how we want, the reason that we give at Real Life is because we want to see more people come to the kingdom and we want to show them the love that we feel when we're at church. I thought it was interesting that Chase is at that part with the tithing because um, we were on the opposite end where I could barely give money to tithe. At one point in time, Mike was a full-time student 
and I still am just like you. I grew up in the church, and like you come to Sunday every or every Sunday, and you make sure that you tithe whatever you can give. I always felt like we were just giving like the bottom of the barrel, um, but it was what we could give at the time. And um, our kids were blessed by real life because there was one Christmas. We're going to be able to give a lot for our presents. And they actually handed us over a very large gift card for Kroger to help us with Christmas dinner. So I think that's awesome to have the other side of the tithe. So hopefully he'll see this story and he'll be able to know that those tithings does come back to help people, even in your church, it's already coming. So I think that was really awesome. That was another reason why I thought real life was amazing, because I didn't even know how they knew that we were struggling, but they were able to give back. So I thought that was great. So now we're in a different place where we can give much more. Like we've given back more and um, like doubled it completely. So we are hoping to help other families too. And, and our kids know that. Makai and Mikay, they know that we struggled there for a while so that, you know, um, but how real life helped us. So I thought that was great. I think that's awesome how it kind of goes full circle like that. So guys, we just hit eight years. So looking ahead, what, what is the thing that has you most excited for with Real Life Church? I would like to see more people come to Christ, obviously. That's our goal. We, we're supposed to go and go out and preach to people and be an example to others. And I think by going to Real Life Church and Pastor Jason has shown us that he's given us some of the tools but God's Word is the best tool that we can have and it tells us what to do and we should go out there every day and try and do it to the best we can just to see how how far we can go you know it's 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 about serving it's about bringing others to Christ it is making our family bigger mm-hmm. and that that is it's something that you know I, I really uh, look forward to, you know, meeting more people and creating more relationships. I just have a lot of friends that just keep saying, Charity, you always seem so happy, like what's different? And I keep telling church, you know, come with me on Sunday. And I've invited several people, but I just feel like, you know, for me on a personal level, I know I'm changing. And so I'm hoping I can reach out there and, and bring more people in. So we do have more people coming to church and stuff. I think I'm excited to see just our outreach grow. Um, how we love on the community is just, I don't know, just, it just really touches my heart that we get so involved in loving on the community. We're supposed to be God's hands and feet, and I really feel like that's what we do at our church. Um, and then it's so family, it's like a family, it's such a tight knit family, but we're not so greedy that we only keep it in the walls of the church. You know, we're just, we're there to just, you know, outpour on the community and everyone around us. All right, guys, so as we close out uh, this discussion, one of the key phrases of Pastor Jason is the best is yet to come. We talked a little bit um, already in this discussion, but when you think about that term, the best is yet to come, what does that mean to you? I think more souls saved. More people will come by word of mouth, uh, by us telling people about our church, inviting people, and I believe more souls Will be saved. I think our community just seeing what God is really all about and the love that he has for every person on this earth. 
um, that it's not just those of us that are Christians, but all of those people that are out on the streets and in the, in the homes in the community. I think part of that is uh, the best is yet to come has to do with the kids and the youth. You know, we have a church that loves children and it shows. I mean, obviously our son is excited to go to church. He's seven, so. <laughs> but, you know, also the youth group, you know, there's a bunch of good kids in there. And our church is, it's, it's the best is yet to come. <laughs> it's, you know, that's our future. Every time Pastor talks about our, our land and our future, I think about how big we're going to be and how we already have reached the community and the small space that we're in. And I get so excited of that best that is going to come and that building. And I feel that we're going to be able to be our best reaching the community even more once we see that. So for me, I just always get excited about that land that we own and what that building's going to look like and how many people that we're going to be able to reach through that. So for me, that's definitely the best that's coming. Tim Keller put it this way. Jesus is not so much a teacher as he is a rescuer because that's what we need the most. Nothing in who we are or what we do saves us. He put it this way. He says, we do not ask to be rescued, but God in his grace planned that we didn't realize we didn't realize we needed what we didn't realize we needed. And Christ, by his grace, came to achieve the rescue we could never have achieved ourselves. You heard stories, that was all impromptu. That stories of people that are sitting at a different table now, that may have once been in Lodabar, that have may once been in shame and disappointment, charity laying down in addiction with alcohol, to marriages being restored, to God's blessing showing up. Why? Because we change tables because of God's grace when we're rescued. It's time for our church to change our mentality, that we are not a church for ourselves. We are a church that will continue to rescue people out of the pit of hell. We are rescued people, and we will continue to rescue people. This is the year of rescue. We are on a rescue mission, church. Galatians 1 says Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Rescued people, rescue people. God's not done rescuing. not done rescuing people and we as a church will keep Jesus the point and do everything we can to rescue people can we close our eyes this morning
Maybe you're in this place today. Man, you're callous to God. Maybe you're living in Lodabar today. And today on this anniversary service, you said, Jason, I've been in Lodabar for a long time. I've been living in shame and sin and brokenness and disappointment. And today, I want to come out of Lodabar. There's a king that's already brought his processional in 2,000 years ago to set you free. Every mental issue, every emotional issue, every thinking issue, every relationship issue, every sin issue that you deal with, every addiction. Today, God can bring you out of Lodabar. If you're in this place today on this service, and you say, Jason, I've never been rescued, or I, I once felt like I was rescued, but I, I walked away from it, and I, I, I caused myself to make decisions that put me back into Lodabar, but I'm coming out finally. I no longer want to be in Lodabar, and I want today to be rescued by Jesus. I want him to rescue me today. If you're in this place, on the count of three, Will you slip up your hand? One, two, three. Just raise your hand if you say, that's me. I want to be rescued. Yeah, I see your hands. Absolutely. Come on, who else? So I want to be rescued today. Praise God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may put your hands down. Praise God. Rescued people. Rescued people. People ask me why I'm so passionate about reaching people. It's because I remember what it was like to be lost. I remember what it was like to be in Lodabar. And today, we had people that raised their hand to say yes to Christ, that they want to be rescued by Jesus so they can rescue others. And so let's pray, church. Let's all stand this morning. Come on, let's all stand today. We're going to pray together with these that raised their hands. We're all gonna pray together, and I believe that when we pray, something's going to happen in their lives today. Thank you for raising your hands at the response. I know you I know, you know where you're at. And so let's all close our eyes and pray together. Say this with me, everybody. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe you sent your son Jesus to the earth to die on the cross for my sin. And today, I thank you, and I invite you into my heart. I ask today that you would make me a new person, that old things would pass away and all things would become new. And today, Lord, I'm coming out of Lodabar. I'm coming into my inheritance. I'm coming to the king's table. And I believe today that God's not done with me. God's not done with my family. And God's not done with my community. God's not done with my region. And so today, I invite you into my heart, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we clap to the Lord for those that said yes to Christ today? Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.